Druids and cars go into festivals. They can chat about things. It's a druid podcast in cars. Sometimes the best parts of festivals are the discussions that surround them, reflections on what we did and heard, anticipation of what's to come, and processing what it all means in relation to our spiritual work. We wanted to help either introduce you to that phenomenon or extend it for you. That's what this is about. I'm Reverend Jana Vende. And I'm Reverend Michael J. Dangler. We're priests of Arnriach Fane and members of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. We're recording these sessions actually live in cars, actually going to festivals and events, so you will hear road noise, turn signals, and navigation prompts. But that's part of what makes it fun. So... Sit back and enjoy Druids in Cars going to festivals. Hi everyone, this is Jan again. Um, I'm here with Melita and we are on our way to the airport to pick up people for Summerlands and then driving back to the campground. And I interrupted her and made her stop her conversation so that we could talk more about household pagan religion and what that looks like if your household isn't pagan. Um, so go, you can start talking again. Hello everyone. Okay. So just to tell you a little bit of backstory, um, I share, a maybe a non-traditional, traditional household with my boyfriends, my grandmother and her, her boyfriends. Um, my grandmother and her boyfriend are both atheists and my, my boyfriend is agnostic. And so, but they all know, of course, and understand that my religious identity and my religious practice is really important to me. And so they kind of celebrate that with me in, in, in different ways. And it's, it's kind of really pleasant. I, we were just talking about the idea that gardening is a part of our life and, you know, having a garden and, and being able to nourish ourselves on those things that we grow is, is such an integral part of who we are, not just as Southerns, but, you know, also just as people that kind of like to, to get our hands dirty and have that hands-on process. And I was talking about this idea of we have a sacred compost, in which case, you know, everything that we eat and we nourish ourselves on, we, we return back to that that local that local composting place and in which case we we take and we honor Demeter um and it looks different for a little bit of all of us you know like for myself personally it's a little more ritualized but for my family it might be throwing some scraps in a bin and being like hail (laughs) (laughs) or thanks you know um and yeah, so household religions is, is interesting how they evolve over time just by someone saying, hey, do you want to do something with me and making space for everyone to bring their own ideas forward. Yeah, I really like, you were talking about earlier today about like bringing the sacred into everyday actions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sounds like that's also a really cool way to do that. Like keeping a compost pile isn't super exciting and isn't super religious unless you make it religious. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, there's a lot of different elements that that we do there at the house that's like that, but they're all relevant. Like, you know, house housework is tedious, um, but it itself is also a sacred act, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that I do. Like, when I'm going to clean my house, you know, I light a candle to Hestia, 
and I dedicate the work to her. Well, I like her accent. It's fancy. <laughs> it is fancy. <laughs> it's real fancy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, taking that moment to transform something monotonous or something that is routine that we do all the time and trying to to find or assign or celebrate something more spiritual about it, like how it continues to to keep this action, like how it enriches our lives and how it enriches our family. And I think that's one of the big, you know, the main contributing factors to any household religion is how does it bring together and how does it strengthen your time together as a family, um, what, however that might look, and your time in the home, because that's a place where you feel, you're supposed to feel safe and secure and it's your foundation. Right. Um, yeah, it's interesting because... So it's interesting because my um, family, we're, you know, we're a pagan household, no surprise. Um, but really, my spouse is much more um, spiritual. Like he, you know, he, he participates when we do family rites most of the time. And um, my daughter is super into praying with me. Like, it's one of her favorite things to do. And sometimes I'm like, I just want to pray by myself, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, my kids are really into it. But uh, we don't really have the experience of a, of a mixed faith household, which I think is really interesting. Um, hearing you talk about that. Yeah, so, you know, one of the really... What inspires that is this idea of... I was raised by an atheist. Um, I had no concept of religion until I was, well, about nine years old. There was a, a place downtown called New Moon Gallery. And so my, uh, it was a metaphysical shop. It was in downtown Chattanooga. And it kind of was like my first segue into religion. Um, and not just like, like my her culture or what have you, but just paganism and religion. And I, you know, started reading these stories and heard people of, like, how they were, like, attached to these gods. And what I found so fascinating about paganism is its polytheistic qualities. And so all of these gods coexisting within us and us coexisting with each other. And, you know, I think that that's really true about a household as well, like... You know, if you have really harsh, stringent boundaries, they become fragile and they break. And the the warmth of a home is is really supplied by what each person brings to it and in how they enrich it. And so the idea that my grandmother is atheist, so she doesn't believe in God or any gods for that matter, it's interesting because she still helps me look at mundane actions and I don't have to find the religious to find something meaningful about them so once I add that additional layer of what religion means to me it helps me deepen my understanding of something that you know that I'm engaging with um and that might be as something as simple as you know she does something really interesting and it's a tradition that I hope to continue 
um, until I teach it to someone else or I pass away or become too old to engage in the work. But that's like with Thanksgiving, you know, that's probably her favorite holiday. Um, and she, she spends weeks prepping for it. And she does a lot of her prep work the night before. And we, we get up together, she and I. And about 5 o'clock in the morning, we start cooking. She has her turkey going all night. And she makes so much food. You know, there's only four of us. And she has one son. And he has a girlfriend. And so at max, there would only be, you know, and you, we would only have to feed six. Right. But she makes all this food and when you ask her why she said well honey there's a lot of people that don't have a place to go today and you know I want them to have something too I want them to to be able to come home to a nice cooked meal laugh and then go about their business and there's no God that tells her she should do that or no spirit or no ethos or, or ethos. And there's nothing outside of just her generosity and her compassion. And so, you know, like for myself, I might conceptualize that through a religious lens. I might think of myself like, oh, this is a devotional act that I'm doing because of a virtue that I find meaning in such as hospitality. You know, how can I be more hospitable? Um, to someone or to others and it's just interesting because like her lack of religion allows me to just like I said just to put in a, a more tangible way meaning to something without it having to particularly re- pertain to me right you know it, when you were talking it was making me think about um, like this idea that there's the divine within all of us mm. right um, we are children of earth and starry heaven there is this divine spark in everybody Hi. and and we as a household our we are our own pantheon right right so like each piece of that is important um and so you've got in your case your grandmother who's atheist but then that doesn't make her a less important part of your pantheon. Oh, absolutely. Because you need the whole, you need the whole set. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like, um, so this is like, you made me think about this divine spark in everybody and how, and how we're stronger together. Absolutely. You know, like, you know, it was in, uh, Mercia Elidi, is that how you say it? El- Eliade. Eliade. Yeah. Woo. Um, there's one thing that really resonates with me um, in the book, The Sacred and the Profane. And it was this idea of religious people um, claiming sacred center and then shaping their entire worldview around that. And it, it's this idea of is if this home then becomes our sacred center, much like you said the people that make it up is the pantheon. Right. It's because we are the one that influences and changes what what is found there. And, you know, going back to something you said about the divine spark and everyone, it's like when she's gone, when I'm remembering her as an ancestor, I can only imagine that that would be through rose-colored glasses. Like, I will see it as a religious experience 
but while talking to her, I'll know that she's on the other side downplaying it because she's just like what religious experience you know (laughs) and it's just it's fascinating to think about that and to think that that's part that has become part of our tradition our custom as a household right well and it's when you relate it back to like um ancient greek religion you know there was the religion of the city Mm. right which we can view at least in this case kind of as like thanksgiving right like we have this cultural quote unquote religion it's right. not like it's cultural customs and everything and so like that's our, our religion of the city but then you have the religion of the household and that's whoever you honor and however you practice right that's your thing and I really like the framing that you put on like your mundane actions that, that can become that sacred action and how that relates to this is your household religion and the way that you as a household practice it yeah well you it allows, you know, also by uh, taking in sacralize, like sacralizing the mundane, it allows even my grandmother to participate. Right. Because it's, she gets to approach it as she is, you know, and she can find worth in that. She can find worth and meaning in whatever work she contributes without having to over-ritualize it. Right. And, and you're right, it's it's fascinating. And it's, you know, like, it's also strange little customs that she has taught me that has seeped into, like, my paganism. Um, and that's, you know, just, it, it it's random things even, like, so, okay, so here's a, here's a story. Um, she collects $1 bills. Not, like, to hoard them away and, like, look at my collection, but she grew up um, in a very poor family. And so she said, honey, you'll never realize how much $1 bills add up. And at first, you know, as a young child, I'm like, whatever. Who wants a $1 bill? You know, give me fives, tens, twenties. Right. Um, but early, like later on in life, as I'm starting to, to develop my own religious practice... And reading about Zeus Kathiskos and how he's a major part of the household and he protects household goods and wealth, I thought to myself, well, I'm going to create a jar. And not like a Kathiskos, you know, with food offerings, but I'm going to create a jar and I'm going to stow away all my change and I'm going to stow away, you know, what money I can. And that money is going to be used towards festivals or buying religious offerings or statuary or whatever and so I started tucking away one dollar bills and though my grandmother does it for different reasons this the principle is still the same well, it's a shared custom it is a shared custom um, and it, it's it's really interesting just like well once I said you know here it is she she has this very mundane practice. Um, and it's, it's grateful. Like I can remember as a child, had she not been able to do that, we might not very well, we may not have had food or we may not have had cleaning products. And, you know, as part of my idea, I, I approach religion very practically. It's like my offerings are what I have on 
and you know like my stored like my offerings are typically things that we eat as a family um but at the same time I think to myself my religion should not break the family's bank right so it's kind of a this way like it pays for itself like that is my my jar to Zeus Cathiscos is almost like my we'll call it temple like our altar if we refer to it as a temple that is the temple goods that is how it continues to pay for itself because whatever money is put in there is going to further like lead to the growth of our household religion You know, an interesting thing my father helped me do, um, I have this large pillar that's mounted to the back of, of my altar, and it actually is probably the most meaningful religious object I own. It's the heaviest, that's for sure. <laughs> but it's, it's actually a piece of marble that's unique to our region. Um, if, if we took and chipped away at the outside of it and polished it up, it almost would have like a pink quartzy kind of feel, but it's really just a, a weird pink marble. And one day I can remember seeing it and asking my father, well, what was that? And it was a, a rock that was left over from when they built, built the fireplace there at our, our house. And, you know, for all of you who's listening who doesn't really know who I am, like, Flame tending in Hestia is, is a devotional practice that has a lot of meaning to me. But, you know, so this idea of being able to create something out of the material that also made my family's hearth. Right, that's really, really cool. It was really special. And, and my father and I, we built this, um, this casing that went around the bottom of the pillar. And then together, you know, like, we stained it and sanded it and then mounted it to the back of this altar. And when I placed it there, I thought to myself, well, what is this? Is it a herm? And I was like, no, that doesn't seem right. I was like, is it my world tree? And I'm like, well, it could be. Um, but really, I think what it is is it just denotes this idea of this is sacred. This is what we consider to be sacred. And it's the, the heart of our home. It's our hearth. It's what provides us warmth. It's what provides, you know, it, it, it can cook for us. It can provide sustenance. It's where we gather when we eat. It's, that is like the heart of our home. So that is our sacred center. That's really cool. Yeah, I think um, building like a household religion I think is, is a really meaningful practice, mm-hmm. um, even for people who live alone. You Absolutely. Know? Like, we're both talking about, like, our families are involved in this, and yours is really cool because it's multi-generational, and, um, but I think it's worthwhile for anyone to try and think about the little pieces of their culture, um, mm. and I don't just mean, like, their hearth culture, I mean, like, what do you do every day? what are your traditions and your culture um, and kind of sacralize that sacralize that you know absolutely you know like I, I've only recently lived near my family and with my family for like the past two or three years before that I lived on my own and I can remember 
like in those times, like, you know, I didn't have a partner. I didn't have family that lived with me. I didn't have roommates or what have you. But I can remember in moments when I was really sad or like missing my family or like missing a sense of home even. It might not have even been my family. I thought back on my childhood and things that I found simple pleasures in and having, you know, making a loaf of bread. That's when I first taught myself how to make bread. It was, that was a religious experience for me you know, making a loaf of bread and sitting down and having it with jam and a bowl of pinto beans that I cooked all day. That was, that was something that was a custom at my house. You know, it's not a week goes by that we don't have at least one pot of beans that we cook. And so there was that connection back to, to this idea of where I came from. Mm -hmm. And it, it allowed me to dwell there long enough that I, I gained my bearings to look ahead as to where I wanted to go. And, you know, now, even as I'm older, um, you know, sharing those stories with other people. And now, you know, this, this, these customs that I built by myself, being able to introduce those back into my household, like making bread. You know, my family never made bread outside of biscuits, but, you know, making loaf bread and, and sharing that with them. And it was, it's just, it's nice. So yeah, those, those little rituals that you do and you find comfort in when you're by yourself influences your hearth religion, despite who might be there to share it with you, you know, either physical or spiritual. Thanks for listening. And there's more to come. We welcome your ideas and questions. If there's something that you'd like to hear us discuss in a future episode, please drop us a line at druidsincars at threecranes.org. If you would like to donate, you can do so at threecranes.org slash donate. Druids in Cars Going to Festivals is a production of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. Learn more about our grove at threecranes.org and more about druidry at adf.org. As always, keep circulating the tapes and let us pray with a good fire.